0: The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. It's the first Sunday in Lent, and we know Lent well as Lutherans. It's a season of fasting, a season of self-discipline. It is a time for Christians to renew our efforts, to crucify our flesh, our sinful flesh with all of its desires to put it away, to put away the old Adam. And so for that reason, as the first Sunday in Lent, you would think that the Old Testament lesson in our lectionary that we're assigned would be something different. You would think that the first of the three readings from the Old Testament would be pretty heavy law. It would emphasize the do's and the don'ts of God's eternal will. I am your Lord and your God, I want you to live this way. You would think it would be a lesson that would be entirely behavioral focused so that we ourselves could learn how we are indeed to live. Today, the first Sunday of Lent ought to be a practical how-to, right? Well, it is, but it's not how you might think it is. We know, of course, the Genesis story very well. It's one of those ones you have to really work hard to get wrong. You've heard it so much. You have sorrow, sin, and death. All there things we are well familiar with. And Lent kicks off by recounting their birth. Sorrow, sin, and death's birth in Eden. You have a crafty serpent. The devil approaches Eve, and he does two things to her when he speaks to her. He, number one... Introduces doubt. And number two, he misquotes God. We know it where he comes up to Eve and he says, Did God really say? Which is a way of saying, Is it actually true? This thing that you had heard from your husband Adam that God had told him? And also, he quotes the Bible to her, so to speak, so to speak, about saying what was said to Eve. He says it to her about not eating. And he does this as a pincer movement. If you know anything about battles and military tactics, one of the best way to destroy an enemy is to go around him on both sides, surround him, and then destroy him as he's in the middle of you. And that's exactly what Satan does there in Eden. He questions the divine authority of God who created the world and spoke to the crown of his creation, man, and he perverts the revealed will of God when he speaks to the woman. Now Eve, of course, repels the first assault. She reasserts God's authority to the devil after he asks the question by appealing to his actual words. He said, you shall not eat of any tree, you can eat of any tree, but you can't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, and what's more, Don't even touch it, lest you die. Now, I think that she's kind of buttressing what God had said to Adam and then Adam to her with the do not even touch it. Because if you look earlier in Genesis, God doesn't say, you shall not touch it. That is not one of the lines. And whether or not she's adding to God's word or just trying to put a good fence around it to keep it safe, I'm not really sure. But it's beside the point because the first attack, she seems to parry. She seems to stop it in its track. But even as in war, to keep the battle analogy going, just if the first assault doesn't necessarily break through, it does do this. It weakens the defenses of what it is assaulting, and it sets up for the second attack, and Satan then takes advantage of this. He tries again with her, and this time, he succeeds. He quotes God's word to her, And then he gives what we call a false doctrine sermon. He tells her a lie. He said, as God had said, you will surely die. He says, you won't surely die. If you eat of this fruit of the tree, you won't die. A lie if there ever was one. And this time, it works. He tempts Eve to believe that she is somehow deprived. Deprived of joy, happiness, security, and completeness in her short life by observing God's rule about the tree, and then she falls for it. This fruit will make you wise. God's holding out on you, you will be like God if you will only just eat this fruit that he said not to. Now we know through experience that you can indeed, learn both through a good example, and you can also learn through a bad example. You see someone does the thing you're not supposed to do, you can learn just as much from that. Well, Eve provides us each in turn, a good example and a bad example. She starts strong in this temptation by the devil, but she fades in the stretch. There are many temptations to sin in life, but all, I would say, bear this same pattern that we see here. Number one, a disregard for God's will and authority, and number two, a belief that We're somehow lacking, that without this thing that we are tempted to say, think, do, or take, or whatever it is, that we are incomplete without it. In the first place, sin does this. It puts our will and our desires on par or even above God's. We spoke about this in Ash Wednesday. We take God's word not as our final standard, but our word and our will is the driving force for our life. In the second place, there is this belief that well, God is holding out on us. He's not giving me the things in this life, in this world that will truly make me happy and set to go. And that's what finally gets Eve in the end, isn't it? She, in spite of having, let's be honest, an amazing place to live, an amazing setting with everything she could possibly ever need or want, had in that moment when the devil was speaking to her, this little voice inside that says, what you have already is not enough. God has not given you everything. So finally it is, in spite of her initial success, Satan does win on both fronts with Eve. She disregards God's word. She thinks of herself as deprived. And we know the sad, dark ending because we are living in its effects. So the question is, though, at least, for us practically today, here and now, how do we, how do we as Christians individually defend against this tried and true tactic of the serpent in our own lives? Well, that brings us to the gospel where Jesus shows us the answer. You have three temptations, of course, of our Lord when he's out in the wilderness, and they are noteworthy in this way. Like the garden, Satan casts doubt on God's word and authority, but this time he's doing it with not Eve, but Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus had so very recently heard the voice of the Father from heaven at his baptism saying, You are my beloved Son." That's about as clear word from God the Father as you are going to get on any topic and there it is. The devil, what does he do? He tries to cast doubt on that word. He prefaces it, he quotes it, but with this little in our language two letter word called if. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, up here in this temple, jump off. Because God's word says he's going to command his angels concerning you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That is to say, yes, the word says it, but is it really true? Is it true for you? And in the second place, what does Satan do? Again, just like in Eden, he's, he's kind of a boring guy. He just does the same thing over and over again. It's like telling the same joke three times and expecting the same big laugh or something like that. He appeals to Jesus' lack. If you're fasting, and if you're fasting for 40 days, hunger would be the thing that I would go for. And that's exactly what the devil does. He says to a hungry Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son of God, you can do a miracle. We see it certainly later on in his ministry. Well, why not get a little practice right here? Have some lunch. He appeals also to the lack of power, or at least the vanity of power, too, with that third temptation, showing him the kingdoms of the world and saying, all this I'm going to give to you, or I will give to you, if you'll just bow down and worship me, no big deal. If you're really the divine son, why not have it all here and now? The worship, the glory, the power of the world, why not have a stomach full of bread and, But of course, with Jesus, unlike Eve, none of it works. It doesn't take, it doesn't catch. The son of God does not yield, but he keeps God's word and law in the moment. And here's the rub. He does it by upholding the standard and keeping it where it belongs. He keeps God's word sacred, and he does not idolize his wants, his desires. Lent kicks off today not with a list or a sermon about here's what I want you to do for the next 40 days and here's how I want you to do it. Not from the Bible and certainly not from me. There's a time and a place for that to be sure. But that's not what we're talking about. Rather today we talk about temptation. And more specifically how we ward off temptation and the devil by holding fast to God's word and by crucifying our own will and desires. Temptations don't just might come, but they do come. It's a daily reality for us. Every day, the devil tries to draw us away from Christ. And sometimes, let's be honest, we've probably yielded so much to a particular temptation, we don't even recognize it as a temptation anymore, but just sort of a fact and matter of life. But as Christians, That should never be a place that we are content to be, a place we are content to live in, giving in to temptation, letting it have its way with us. But rather, after the times we do give in, we just stop, repent, pick up the banner again, and go back to the fight. And we are well prepared for that fight when we are indeed grounded in God's word and we believe truly in our hearts that in spite of the strong desire I might feel in a moment for something, God's will is what is best and good for me. And so let us be in that word often. That's my Latin admonition to you. Be in the word, not just when you're here at Calvary, but at home. Be in it when you wake up, when you go to sleep, and everywhere in between as much as you can, because that word of God is your best defense against Satan who would draw you away from God. Learn not to say yes to every passion or whim that you have, because they often indeed clash with God's revealed will and we all know from experience they never satisfy when you do give in. And fight the good fight of faith in the manner of Jesus who overcame death and the devil for you and is with you now, even now in this fight.